Network interface is enabled. Hold, hold. Hello and welcome to the Coming Out of the Basement podcast for the week of October 22nd, 2012. I'm your co-host Carlos, with me is your co-host BJ, and today we have almost a full complement of our motley ship of fools, because we are joined by Scott and JJ, who have been here before. Thank you guys for coming back. We were going to have Matt come on, but um, he had a uh, technology emergency, so he was unable to join us. He wasn't going to come on anyway. No, that's true. Yeah, he needs to learn how to make his resume, is what, I, what I've heard. Yeah, I've heard that, too. I've also heard this thing. <laughs> so uh, we have a bunch of geek news that we're going to get through quickly today so we can actually get to Guild Wars 2 because we've said we're going to talk about Guild Wars 2 for like two episodes now and then reach the hour and a half mark and never got to it. So we're not going to do that today. Let's talk about some other news. Movie stuff. Uh, I went and saw Paranormal Activity 4. What did you think? It was not very good. <laughs> I got shocked. Yeah, you got a twenty something percent, right? Yep, twenty something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which actually has gone down since its release, which is unusual. Um, it started okay; it was kind of like a funny movie, and then it and then it suddenly just diverged into the regular paranormal activity kind of thing. It was nothing; nothing new was done in this movie. It didn't really bring anything. It was kind of took parts from the older movies and stuck them in at the end. The actors, the the lead actors, were okay uh, as far as the the. The girl who is the, probably the center of it and her boyfriend, they were fine. Kid actors are always a little bit funky, and there were a couple of main kid actors in this who are y- very young children, I mean. And, uh, yeah, the ending just kind of was much – so I, I my favorite of them is Paranormal Activity 3, and I really like Paranormal Activity 3 up until the very end. And this movie I kind of liked, and then at the very end it did the exact same thing that Paranormal Activity 3 did and just kind of lost me. So not a very good movie. Well I- – so I think those movies, you know, if you look at like Saw and Saw's become sort of a Halloweeny type movie, and and I don't, I've stopped watching them after I guess the first two, but for my impression, it's sort of the same shit every single time, and they're really just appealing to their own specific fan base, and I think that Paranormal Activity is going to go down that road, and I think next year we're going to have a Paranormal Activity five because they're I- so cheap to make. I would not be shocked if that is the case, because it was also the number one in the box office this week. Although it did not do as well as previous Paranormal Activities, it still did okay. It made more than $30 million this weekend. Yeah. Um, however, like Holly and I were fans of the franchise. I mean, we liked Paranormal Activity 1, 2, and 3, and particularly Part 3, and 4 was just a huge disappointment. So that's, that's, it is unlikely that we'll go see 5 at the movies. Here's, here's a sign that you need to stop making these kinds of movies. Um, the Waynes brothers are doing a parody called Haunted House based off of the paranormal stuff. Yeah, it's done. So when the Waynes brothers are making a parody of your movie, you need to stop. I thought that was when you just needed to keep going because if it's if it's got enough momentum behind it to create a parody, then it's got to be doing something. No, no, correctly? no, no, no. Normally you're correct, and I would I would totally support that. But this is a Waynes parody, right? Do they? I don't I don't really understand that. What These, that is. The, the Wayne's parodies, the, the Damon and Marlon Wayne's parodies are particularly bad parodies. There's well, nothing. List, list, list me one of them to refresh my memory. I don't, I don't remember. Cause I know uh, like the scary movies and those, those aren't Wayne's brothers, right? Those are just some other. No, 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 no. I think one of them appeared in one, but they weren't like a Wayne's production. Um, I think Disaster Movie was one of the Wayne's parody movies. I don't even know. What the, I'm going to Google it. So. Like s- Scary Movie? Was that? No, I don't think that was one of the Wayne's parodies. Mm. 
Well, we'll look that up. Uh, other movie news. Uh, so, uh, Iron Man 3. We saw our first trailers of Iron Man 3 now. Have you gotten a chance to see them yet? I've watched it like half a dozen times. What do you think, JJ? I liked it. I think it's, uh, it's kind of the Empire Strikes Back episode. It seems like bad guys might win this one. Yeah, it's definitely not as, um, happy-go-lucky as Iron Man normally is. No, not at all. Yeah, and oh. so the bad guy is the Mandarin. Who has been one of my favorite, you know, villains of uh, of Iron Man from when I was a kid, you know. And as a kid, I didn't realize how incredibly racist he was, because uh, he really is. If you go back and read the old comics, which are oh yeah, and it, it, and uh, so I think it's interesting that they chose him. But also, Iron Man three is being produced by partly by a Chinese company, like a very big part of it. And uh, and they actually went with Ben Kingsley to play the Mandarin, which is interesting too. So I think that's a good way to approach it. Well, I think Ben Kingsley is trying to fulfill the whole spectrum of the racial rainbow because, you know, he did Gandhi, right? So he's done Indian, so he's going to do the well, Mandarin. And he, and he himself is half Indian. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's he's just kind of really trying to do it all. And he was the bad guy on Sneakers. He was the bad guy on Sneakers. <laughs> was he really? He was the bad guy. Yeah. Was he, Cos- was he, played, awesome. he played Cosmo in Sneakers? I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. That mm-hmm. is awesome. Wasn't he also in Dungeons & Dragons? I don't think so. Uh, who am I thinking of? Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Oh, okay, mm. good. You've never <laughs> seen that, that overacting scene? Oh, where it's like oh thank God. Yes. Controlling Red Dragons? Oh. Yes, that's the one, that's what I was thinking of. Okay, we could, good. We could do an episode on that movie alone. So, oh, oh. They're making a third one. The, the second one wasn't the, was, the second one wasn't terrible. It was more like what you would expect from a Dungeons and Dragons movie, right? And it went directly to sci-fi, and it was you yeah. know for a sci-fi movie, it was okay. But yes, they're doing a third one now. <clears throat> I kind of consider like the Darkness Rising like the quintessential D and D movie because I, I think that encompasses yeah. what D and D is. I'm sorry, yeah. JJ, you were going to say something? Nope. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> So we've been talking a lot about DC and like what are they thinking kind of stuff in, in recent episodes because with their reboot and with you know a lot of the decisions they've made with their movies, they're thinking now that they're going to be putting Justice League up the movie up against Avengers two. I saw that. How I mean, and and they're doing it with like no lead in movies, right? You know that's what made Avengers like do really well because they had you know Iron Man one, two, you know Captain America, Thor, all that stuff led into the Avengers. And DC says, we're not going to do the lead-in. They might not even use the guy from Superman, the new Superman movie. They're talking about not using him and having like a completely fresh cast. It, That's bizarre. I mean, it, it is, you know, they might go with him, that, you know, just because if, if the movie does well enough, then they'll probably stick with him. But it's a really weird choice because I'm sorry, but I don't think their, you know, their franchise is strong enough to go against Avengers right now. Well, yeah, that seems, go ahead. So if you look, I mean, uh, with the lead-in movies, that's a good point. Um, but you know, sort of to what you mentioned, I don't, I don't think DC has made a credible movie in a very long time, and and to Batman. build up, you sort of need that momentum to get to that, you know, the the tie-in movie. And I don't think DC can even get three or four films out there that are worth watching. Oh, JJ brings up a good point, though. Batman's been their only real staple for the longest time. Which they right. ended pretty definitively, yeah. though. So, like, and Christopher Nolan's not doing it now, so... Yeah, they were trying to lean... Because, you know, basically, Marvel's put all their chips on Joss Whedon. So Joss Whedon is, is becoming the, you know, head producer of all Marvel media. He's, you know, producing the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series, and he's working <laughs> on Avengers 2, and he's kind of overseeing all the stuff, right? 
And so they tried to get Nolan to do that. Nolan kind of just wiped his hands. He's like, I'm done with the comic book universe. I've done my, my trilogy and I'm, I'm out of it, right? And then there was rumors that they were going to try and get Ben Affleck to, to, you know, oversee their, their media stuff. And he, you know, said no, or, or that wasn't, you know, it didn't come to fruition. So I think that this is announcing that they're going to go head to head with Avengers when they don't really have anything like solidly established is a really bad idea. Cause Marvel's already got, you know, Iron Man three and then they got Captain America, the winter soldier and then, you know, Thor dark world. Mm-hmm. They're ready. And then all that's going to lead into Avengers too. So they've got a, a plan. They know where they're going. And, and it seems like this is just a knee jerk reaction from DC. Like we can do it too. Are they making another Hulk Hulk movie with that dude who played the Hulk in Avengers? Cause I would watch that. He was good. Uh, they haven't announced it. I mean, he they was one of the that. highlights. He signed up for ten movies, from what I understand. He should do all wow. of them. He was he was a good actor. Yeah, I, I agree. He was great. So yeah, so uh, yeah, I think that's weird too. A very very weird decision on DC's part. Don't know what they're thinking really. Uh, and Marvel's just doing really well right now. And and so there's the Joss Whedon stuff that he's directing for Marvel. Um, there's also uh, 20th Century Fox has a bunch of properties as well, and that universe is kind of uh, being hit up by Mark Miller. And they're, they're, they've said now that they're going to be doing a new X-Men movie, uh, based on Days of Future Past. Interesting. Uh, which if people don't know, it's a kind of, um, time travel, post-apocalyptic universe type movie. Uh, and yeah. And the guy who's directing it is the guy who directed, um, uh, Matthew Vaughn, who directed, what is that movie? Uh, with Hit Girl and Kick-Ass. 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 Directed Kick-Ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the guy who directed Kick-Ass is apparently going to be directing Days of Future Past. So, uh, it, you know, they, Marvel, even though that's not directly co- connected by Marvel, I can see that potentially being quite good. I was really impressed with First Class. Um, First Class was good. Yeah, yeah, it was. We got the Wolverine coming out soon, and, and that one's kind of up in the air. I mean, I love Hugh Jackman, but the first Wolverine movie was pretty bad. Yeah, that was really, really bad. Yep. So, um... Uh, he's, you know, but the thing I like about Hugh Jackman is that, you know, most people kind of get tired of playing the role like this. They hate being stereotyped or something like that. Hugh Jackman kind of revels in it. You know, he likes to go do his art stuff, and then he comes back to these, you know, staple characters, and he loves the fact that, you know, fans are, you know, maintain loyalty and stuff like that. So he'll try it again. He'll he'll take another go at it, you know, to see if you know they can get it right. So I appreciate that tenacity from him. So movie-wise... How many, wise, how many movies ahead. has he been Wolverine in? Like five, six? Three? Five. What's five? Yep, three so. X-Men movies. Um, the Wolverine like, movie, Wolverine and then movie. he did a cameo in X-Men First Class. Yep. yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, for Halloween movies, I'm or for movies right now, I'm going to put all my hopes on Sinister, and if it's terrible, I'm going to be very disappointed. Uh, let me know what that is, because I, I've been wanting to get a good horror flick in, and it's been... Difficult. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to go try to see that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, any other movie stuff you all want to talk about? Do you see that they released the trailers for Carrie and a teaser trailer for uh, uh, the uh, Evil Dead? Yes. What? Yeah, so they have some of the Comic-Con footage, and it's Bruce Campbell. He's like, this isn't your mama's Evil Dead, you know, and he's hyping up the crowd, and they showed some of the uh, the footage and stuff. But they're going to be, I think on Wednesday, tomorrow, they're going to be releasing the full trailer for Evil Dead. Hmm. Yeah, apparently the the lead actress uh it took her more than a week to get all the blood out of her ears. <laughs> That's awesome. They, yeah, they mentioned something about just like just rolling blood all over the place. So apparently it's um it's a lot. Yeah. That's good. Bring it back to its roots. Yeah. 
That's what he's <laughs> talked about. That's what he talked about bringing back the classic horror again. So. Yeah, I don't think it'll be very good in today's day and age, but what the hell, it'll be fun to watch. And that's what it always was. It was, it was just fun to watch, right? You know, it's fun to watch someone who's not, you know, constantly screaming from the enemy. Someone who's like, you know, I'm gonna get a chainsaw and take it to him. So, I don't know. Like the old Elm Street movie, like the first Elm Street movie scared the snot out of me when I was a kid. Yeah, but watch it again today and you'll be like, oh, it's awful. Yeah, Yeah, it's awful. Terrible. Even Poltergeist is awful and that scared the snot out of me too. Yeah, me too on that same boat. Poltergeist would terrify the crap out of me, but today I watch it and you're like, all right. Now, I know I brought, I brought this up two episodes in a row, but I'll bring it up again. I think Exorcist is still scary today. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I, st- I still like Poltergeist, too, but I don't find it scary. But, yeah, I still enjoy it. Yeah. Beck, my my wife, uh, she loves the original Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, and she'll still watch it today. So, And she, I think she enjoyed the, the remake. Did you guys see the remake? No. I did not, no. Okay, it was okay. It had the guy who played... Um, Rorschach as uh, as uh, Freddy. Yeah, I think I still have my uh, my docking tape from Dream Warriors. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah. That is terrific. Awesome. So I don't have any other geek news. Um, I've got a, some TV stuff. I saw the second episode of Arrow. Oh, I actually started, off of your recommendation, I started getting into that, and as soon as I started watching it, my wife was like, you know, hey, you know how upset you got at the end of uh, Superman, and I was like, don't have to worry about this here, we've already seen him in the uniform in first episode. My <laughs> my dreams have been accomplished, i got no place to complain now. Yeah, don't don't say anything yet, I've got it recorded, but haven't watched it, so no spoilers. Uh, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say one thing. Uh, oh, I was gosh. I was wrong in that. If you've seen the previews, you get this. I thought that they had a flash of the Black Canary in this episode. It was not the Black Canary. It was a different character from uh, the DC universe. Well, that's uh, it. I can't watch it now. Thanks. A okay. Lot. Well, then good. Then I'll spoil it more. Uh, no, actually, <laughs> I was telling uh, I was telling Holly about uh, about uh, that the Black Canary was going to be a character in this in this show at some point, and Holly has never read the the DC comic, and she was like. Is that actually a superhero name, the Black Canary? Like, how did they come up with that? Because uh, she and it's, it's like, well, you know, she's a martial artist and has all those things. She's like, really? I mean, what's her power? Going into coal mines <laughs> and then dying? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, and, and I was like, and she's, and she's like, yeah, welcome to the Justice League, Black Canary. He's like, how did they come up with this? Black, black, black's good, good, dark, powerful. Okay, let's go with Canary. And I was explaining to her, you know, she's actually a really, you know, kick-ass female character, especially when she was written by Gail Simone in, in the series Birds of Prey. And then Holly's like, Birds of Prey? A canary's not a bird of prey. Who are they going <laughs> to let in, let, let in next, Robin? And then, and then she's like, is there a turkey? Because, you know, turkeys are scary. So I don't know. She's not impressed by the black canary. I thought I thought black the black part was like hinting at her true hair color because she wears a, a, a blonde wig, but she actually has black hair. That may I am I don't know about the or, origin of that. I mean that's true, but I'm not sure if it's hinting at that. And it was just they thought it was a cool name because she's an old character in the Green Arrow universe. So um, although I have to say Holly reserves all of her contempt like for Hawkeye. She she hates the character of Hawkeye with with a passion. Yeah, I also do not like Hawkeye. And what was up with that actor uh, Jeremy Renner like bashing Hawkeye in an interview? Yeah. He just ended up sounding like a little perturbed because he wanted more screen time. Yeah, she she just did not like him. And I was like, well, what about the Black Widow? She wasn't, you know, she didn't have powers either. And Holly's response was, yeah, but she held her own. Hawkeye, I mean, she beat up Hawkeye with his own bow. And she she wore tight pants, so. <laughs> but yeah, so Hawkeye, eh, we'll see. 
Um, let's see. Other movies, other TV stuff. Oh. Walking uh, Dead. Walking yes. Dead. How's, how's that going? It's going good, man. I'm loving the third series. It started off just, really well. It's going good. I'm just finishing up season two on Netflix and uh, looking forward to watching my recorded season three stuff. I like to. I've been recording season three, but I'm probably not going to watch it until um, we uh, hit like midstream or something. I hate. I, I like to watch them in chunks. So. Yeah. Mm. It's it's but I can feel that the production value's gone up and the it's sort of getting back to its roots and and from what I'm told, I haven't read the comics. And I think we talked about this on the zombie episode, but from what a buddy at work's telling me, there this is sort of a hitting points that are very key in the comics. So I'm looking forward to next episode next week. Yeah, they're they're at, you know not to ruin too much, but they get to the prison, and the prison's a very key part of the the comic, and they're kind of back on track with a lot of what was happening in the comic. So, but good, uh, yeah, because I, I heard, I mean, a lot of people like season two. I know a lot of people. I haven't seen it, but a lot of people thought it was kind of slow. Yes. So, uh, but I, yeah, I've heard really good things about season three so far. So, very cool. Um, well, you have a reason to go to Denny's again. If you, you know, if you needed one now, I don't know how often you go to Denny's or not. They're going to have a Middle Earth menu. Awesome. That's terrible. I'm in. <laughs> this, is this anything like, uh, the, the Hobbit feast at, uh, I guess the so. draft house? They're going to have a Hobbit Probably. bowl breakfast and Shire sausage and seed cake French toast. And yeah, it's going to have a whole Hobbit menu. And I I feel like it's still going to taste like Denny's food. <laughs> oh, it I will. That's probably the problem. I'm going to guess you're right. <laughs> um, the Kickstarter stuff, I was going to mention something. So we've talked about Kickstarter almost every, um, if not every episode that we've done. Uh, one of the things that came up recently, though, is one of the reasons that you beware of Kickstarter. There was a game, a fairly successful fundraising fundraiser for a game called Haunts which was a multiplayer investigate a mansion, haunted mansion kind of game that looked really awesome. Um, and, you know, when we're doing Kickstarter, a lot of times we treat it as kind of like a pre-order type thing. Sometimes you can get extra stuff, uh, but basically you'll get you'll end up getting a copy of the game and so on and so on. But it's not always. So Haunts is one of those examples where basically the programmers quit because they got real jobs. And so the people running the Kickstarter were kind of left with the game that they don't really know how to program, and uh, so and so they're not able to deliver right now. And so they're in negotiation with a company to try to produce it, and they're you know refunding people who want refunds, and you know offering offering the profits to anybody who is willing to to finish it. But it's one of those things where it's certainly not going to come if it, it might not come at all, and it's certainly not going to come at the time that they promised it would come or that they said it would come when they when they did the Kickstarter thing. So that is one of the. Uh, one of the potential problems with with Kickstarter, it's kind of a buyer beware kind of thing. You don't necessarily know uh, if something's going to come out. And and that's why I mean, I've invested in a few Kickstarters. It's worth doing your research. Like I invested in Zombie Side because they already looked like they were you know ninety percent done with their production. They already had you know working models of their game and stuff like that, and all their uh, miniatures. Uh, there's another zombie game that I saw that uh, my wife was asking if I was interested in, and they just didn't look like they were near enough completion. Right? They hadn't made any working models of the game or the board or anything like that. And I was like, yeah, it's it's too risky. You know, I don't want to invest if it doesn't seem like it's you know that far along in production. 
Right. So I'm going to mention some that are still open that I'm pretty sure are going to make, then <laughs> that will be made. Uh, first is, of course, the I mentioned it last time, but you still got more than a week to join, and it is the Deluxe Werewolf: The Apocalypse 20th Anniversary Edition. Uh, that one has eight days left to go, but it is it is made 277 percent of its funding at about uh, 235 thousand uh, dollars. Definitely going to make. They've already done a great job with the vampire stuff that they put out using this process. Uh, I think I said this last time. The hardback is a bit pricey if you want the deluxe leatherbound hardback. Uh, I think it's 120 dollars, but it's uh, it's going to be a really good work. Uh, I, I think it's going to be very cool, and you can get the PDF. Uh, for far less than that. Well, they got my money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, right. I mean, and, and as as we expected, it would. Um, but it's going to be really cool. Leather bound, embossed, metal edged, full color. It's it really is uh, is a, a really great uh, project. And White Wolf, of course, uh, well known company, will definitely do it. Uh, Hillfolk, which is that system by Robin Laws that I mentioned previously, who uh, publishes stuff for Pelgrane Press, still has nine days on that one. Definitely going to make also. They keep on adding, you know, more and more authors to it uh, to to create new systems for it. Uh, they recently added Dave Gross, Chris Premis, um, Wolfgang Bauer. They've gotten to the point where they, the game system is going to be an open game. It's going to use an open license of some sort. And if it reaches fifty thousand, it's going to. Uh, it's going to open up another thing from Pilgrim Press, which is the Gumshoe system, uh, which was an award-winning system that came out a few years ago for the game Trail of Cthulhu, which is supposed to be a really excellent uh, uh, Cthulhu-based game, mystery, but more like along a mystery type thing. So uh, I hope they reach that 50,000 gold because it would be really cool to have an open uh, license for uh, Gumshoe. But just in and of itself, it's going to be super awesome. Uh, it's got the where actually it has the people who do one of the guys working on the werewolf project is going to be writing a system for it. So yeah, they've, it, it's going to be a pretty interesting system. Uh, other projects are mutants and mastermind is doing a 10 year anniversary edition. Um, if you don't own mutants and mastermind, it's a really good way to get it. Uh, if you do own it, if they meet their stretch goals, there's going to be some extra stuff in the book. Uh, a lot of it having to do with the history of mutants and mastermind, but, uh, if you're interested in it at, at all, uh, it is, it, it promises to be pretty neat. Um, definitely that's going to make it no matter what, uh, the, the 10th anniversary. Uh, and then Ars Magica, which is another system, um, that's been out, uh, existing system that's been out for a while, has a video game, uh, that they're trying to fund. This one, I'm not sure if it's going to make it because Ars Magica, as far as I know, is not one of the better known. I mean, have you guys ever played it? No, not, on, I have never no, played I haven't it either. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of it. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've, I've heard of it. It's, it's, it's got a pretty decent set of books, a good set of books. And I actually know someone who writes for it, but um, I never, it doesn't have quite the backing of like White Wolf, which is the coast and stuff like that. They're trying to make a video game, and and it's they've got a goal of two hundred and ninety thousand dollars, which is pretty ambitious, but you know it might be necessary for a video game. It's got twenty five days to go. It's made uh, twenty, not almost twenty nine thousand now. May or may not make it. Ars Magica is actually a really interesting game. I actually think I, I'd love to play it sometime, but uh, I'll, we'll see how. I'll keep on watching this project as it as it proceeds. I hope it makes it. I think it'd be really great if it did because it'd be a fun. Uh, it's it's a basically uh, magic in the Middle Ages, but it's got a really well developed world uh, and and rule set. So I hope it makes it, but I'm not sure if it's going to. Every now and then something doesn't. And then the last one that I think is just interesting is a game called Magicians. And it's an RPG that I wish they had this for Japanese, but they have it for Korean right now. And it is uh, it is an RPG where basically you do things by 
learning Korean. Like it's a language learning type RPG type thing. It actually looks really neat. That was kind of my, my first reaction as well. But it, but I mean, the art is, the art is gorgeous. The, the, the system that they put up so far, it's, it's already written. Actually, everything's already written. It sounds very cool. And it's based on the magicians by Lev Grossman, uh, the whole concept of it. So I, I actually think it sounds pretty, pretty interesting. And, um, and like I said, I wish they would do it for Japanese, but of course the guy taught English in Korea, so he knows he made it for Korean. And and I, we've I now learned that Scott hates. Uh, we now learning. learned that yeah, Scott hates learning. Well, I hate learning and I hate Koreans. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh. um, I also have a Kickstarter thing to throw out there since Carlos went on a sort of spiel. Um, if you guys check it out, it's called Star Citizen. It's a space simulator done by Chris Roberts, who also did those awesome games Privateer, Freelancer, and Wing Commander back in the day. He is working on a new project that has already reached its goal, and it's pretty much pre-ordering an awesome open-ended space simulator for like 40 bucks. so go and check it out. I have heard of that game. There's been yeah. a lot of just talk about that. Yeah. Oh, and good. It made its goal of five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Very nice. Still has. 26. Still got twenty six days to go though. Yeah, so it's still, it's still more money on it. Very cool. Any other kickstarters? That's the only one I got. Yeah, I, I got nothing that I've uh, invested in recently. Cool. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention, so of course I'm sure all of you have heard Gangnam Style and it's, it's, it's million <laughs> parodies, right? Yeah. I actually, and, and people are saying it's tired, but I actually still enjoy it. Uh, I think, especially if you look at its original, uh, uh, satirical kind of bent. But I actually saw the ultimate, the ultimate parody recently, uh, and that is Lopan Style. And it is entirely based on Big Trouble in Little China. Uh-huh. John, John Carpenter presented it at a convention this uh, recent the last week, and it actually stars the guy who played Lopan, the actual actor who played Lopan in the uh, in the series. It's it's obviously people spent money making it, and it is it is actually pretty darn funny. So check it out, Lopan style. You can Google it and find it. It's it's awesome. I'll have to check it out because I thought the definitive parody was the Ghostbuster style. Um, that was that was a good mix, and actually, it's yeah. also a funny Gandalf style one that's kind of amusing. What the hell do these these things exist? <laughs> oh they yeah, all exist. they all exist. There's a Klingon style where someone yes. actually took the words that's... and translated, you know, from what is it? Is that Korean or? Uh, yeah, it's originally Korean. Yeah, it's so they translated from Korean to Klingon and then did the uh, the parody. Hmm. All right. So, yeah, it's definitely, definitely, definitely uh, check it out. Yeah. Okay, so now, since we're actually going to do it, are, do we have any other things that we want to talk about, Geek News, BJ? I just want to get to the Guild Wars. We've put it off for so long. We've hyped it for so many episodes. We need to do it. So, Guild Wars. So, we talked a little bit about Guild Wars 1 uh, three or four episodes ago. And so, Guild Wars 2 takes place uh, 250 years after uh, after the original Guild Wars. And so they released, uh, a, a, they were planning on releasing a set of book and they've released two so far that kind of span the time between Guild Wars 1 and Guild Wars 2. Uh, I'm not sure what happened with the third one. It, it got pushed back until 2013. So it was just kind of odd. So the two books, which, uh, the two books that do that are, are written by people who actually, who write for the game and who still work for, for, uh, ArenaNet. Um, and they are going to be, and I should have them up here, and I don't, because um, Ghost of Ascalon, and that one is by uh, Matt Forbeck and Jeff Grubb. Jeff Grubb is uh, Jeff Grubb is a RPG designer and a game designer, and who's who's working for them now. And Matt Forbeck is also he writes a lot of, uh, of what they call tie-in fiction, and then the other one. 
and I should, and I had this up a second ago and I must have just closed it, but I'll find that in a second. But so Ghost, Ghost of Ascalon takes place, uh, one of the things that I mentioned about the first one is that the Char are one of the main bad guys. And they, they do the searing, they, they destroy, pretty much destroy Ascalon in its entirety and take over that country. And the king stays there and, and vows to fight them off. And you, you leave basically with the prince because he knows that that's a doomed, uh, a doomed battle. And as it turns out, the prince is right. And you find out what happened in this book in that, uh, the king at the time, King Aldelburn, summoned something called the Faux Fire to repel the invaders. And what that did is it destroyed, it killed everybody in Ascalon. Everybody, it killed the Char, it killed the humans, it killed everybody and made, and made the humans ghosts. So when you travel there in Guild Wars now, it's, they, there's a bunch of ghosts there. When you start as a Char, you start off by fighting one of the ghosts, uh, who was actually one of the characters in Guild Wars 1 that gave you quests, which is kind of neat. So, uh, that happened. And what this book is about is it's, it's a, the Queen Jenna, Queen Jenna is trying to negotiate a treaty with the Char because they're still at war. But, uh, the, they, what they're trying to do is get a group together to, uh, find a relic that was lost during the faux fire and bring it back to, uh, bring it back to them to offer to the Char as a peace offering. And that's what the book is about. Basically, they take, they take one of, of all the races involved and, in different classes and basically they go on this adventure to get the, uh, to get this relic and give it back to the queen. So it's, it's an interesting book. I think it's, it's, it definitely, you get a lot more out of it. You know anything about the Guild Wars and the Guild Wars 2 lore. Um, and it kind of fills in the blanks for some of those things. Talks about the faux fire, talks about how they finally come to peace. And it talks about why now we, we, cause in Guild Wars 1, you never saw female char. And now of course you can play female char and basically talks about how the flame legion was, was one of the, uh, one of the different factions of the char who was in charge at the time and they were, really terrible basically and uh, and worship these evil gods so that they could fight off the humans and that during the interim they've been overthrown and the char no longer worship gods and also females have risen to prominence again and so that's all explained uh during during this book uh it, it is it is a good book um it's gotten it's gotten pretty decent reviews uh not not terrific not terrific reviews but decent reviews uh the other book is called uh, Edge of Destiny by J Robert King this one basically is about the characters that you will actually encounter in the Guild Wars 2 game. It, it's this group called Edge of Destiny. Uh, depending on what race you choose, you will meet, you will meet, uh, at, in your starting area, one of the characters of this book. So if you're a human, you'll meet Logan. If you're a char, you'll meet the, the char guy in this thing. If you're whatever, you'll meet, you'll meet somebody. Uh, Ritlock is the char. Uh, you'll meet Kaith if you're a Silvari. Uh, you'll meet, uh, Zorja if you're one of the Asuran and so on and so on. So this book tells about how they all got together, how they met, how they became the, the group called Destiny's Edge and how they broke up basically what happened. And it goes into detail. If you play through Guild Wars 2 and do your storyline missions, you'll get some of that. And it, especially if you like stand around the edges and listen to the NBC's talk, you'll, you'll get this story, but this, this tells it all in one place and in much more detail. And, um, the, and basically how they all split up. Uh, and this book is also pretty decent. I actually really like this book because it's got a lot of war. Some people didn't like this book because they thought it was kind of paint by numbers. Like the guy had to introduce all these characters and had to have them do this. Uh, but I still thought it was, it was fairly decent. 
Well, and to chime in, in the game in Guild Wars 2, if you actually go through and you do, like, every one of the dungeon dungeons in Guild Wars 2 have two different type of modes, story mode and explorer mode. Yep. Um, if you do all of the dungeon explorer modes, you're going to meet all of the Destiny's Edge characters, and you're going you're gonna to actually go through and experience, you know, their story and the past on how, on how Destiny's Edge actually, you know, fractured and then how they're they're sort of coming back together to sort of go to that you know story climax that happens at the very end of the end That's of right. your personal story mission, right? Licking licking their wounds to move on with their lives, right? Yeah. So this is I think it's this one even has more directly relevant lore to Guild Wars Two than the first one does. Um, uh, so I, it's 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 an interesting one. Well, it's good for books and all, but let's talk about the game. <laughs> let's talk about the game. <laughs> That's 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 it on the books. Go for it. All right. So you know, I'm sure we've all gone out there and we've all played our series of MOs, and we've we've probably had some disappointments recently. Um, I, I haven't played Mr. Pandera. I'm, I don't know if you guys are planning on ever talking about that, but I'm, I don't actually plan on playing. Um, yeah, I, lo- the I new love WoW it. Expansion. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's the best. Yeah, we'll go love had. it in your corner by yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Earlier this year, we had Star Wars The Old Republic, and then before that, we had some sort of short-lived MOs and Rifts, and Terra came out. But I, I personally really like Guild Wars because it's bringing back the whole competitive nature of MOs in the fact that the the whole endgame of Guild Wars is based pretty much solely around uh, PvP and what we call world-v-world competitions, where you're pitting one server against another <clears throat> in, in blocks of three. So it's a, a, a sort of a triangle of... of uh, world v world going on in a different realm and sort of different from the PvP or PvE uh, arena, and that's that goes on for stints of a week, and I guess they're planning on extending it out to two week periods of time, and it's it's actually fairly in depth uh, if you've done PvP in an MMO uh, to the extent where there's supply management, there's fort management, you can upgrade uh, the siege weaponry is is really interesting, um, and just the the sheer scale of combat. Um, and I, I really like that personally as an end game to an MMO. But before you get to the end game, if you look at the, the simple gameplay of Guild Wars 2, they always like to promote themselves as more of a, an action pe- an action based game. There's uh, a lot of emphasis on on your combat positioning. Um, there's you know dodging and evading and managing stamina and managing hit points, and you don't have your traditional uh, trinity of tank, healer, and DPS. When you play a character, you're sort of all in one. You have your own your, your self heal. But the thing that I like probably the most about Guild Wars is when, if you think about other MOs, you typically have uh, you know three hot bars of ten of powers that you have uh, that block off the lower part of your screen. Here in Guild Wars, you have five main attack powers, which are derived from the, depending on what weapons you're equipping, you know, either in your primary hand or your offhand, and you will only ever have those five attack powers. And then you have your one healing power, and you have three utility powers, which you could swap out from a list of, I guess, I think it's about 15 or 20. And then you have uh, your elite skill, which you could select from a list of, I guess, six. So it's very much limiting your options and the fact that you don't really have something to cover everything on your keyboard or you could click and do, you know, essentially a million different things. It simplifies it so you're actually focusing on the battle itself. You're focusing on your character's position. You're not really focused on, like, cooldown timers of 17 different powers. Although and I actually, I've been level 80 for... 
uh, I guess a month and a half now, and I'm still really enjoying the game. And, and so I will I mention, say something. I will mention you're not you're not stuck with those powers though, because you can switch mm-hmm. them in and out over, uh, out of combat. Well, the utilities out of combat, you could switch around the utilities and the the elite freely, and, and depending on what your weapon set is, depends on what your five primary attack powers are. Right. And depending on what kind of character you can play, you can switch those weapons in combat. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, the my, in, the my engineer mesmer can't. Does. Yeah, but. my mesmer can. My mesmer does, right. Depending on what character is, you can switch those weapons. The utilities and stuff, you can't. But yes, uh, the, the, the mesmer is the, what the class I play, and I can switch back and forth. And I do, because it gives me a lot more skills. So the game, and the one good thing about the game is that, you know, if you look at other, like, if you look at WoW, I take WoW as a good example. WoW sort of leaves a, a trail of breadcrumbs for you to follow until you hit level 85 or whatever the max level is now, I guess 90. Um, well, with Guild Wars... All of the zones level you down, so you're, you're you're forced down to the level of the particular area that you're in. So every every time you go to a new place to experience new content, it's always going to be relatively challenging because you're forced down. Your stats are reduced down to that particular level, um, and and that that's good for people like me who like to rocket up to level eighty. You know, and I still want to play with my buddy JJ who doesn't play, you know, nine hours out of the day like I do. So we can still play together because it's forcing us all down to this certain level where we're at. Um, unlike WoW, if you look at WoW, you know, if I shot up to level 85 in WoW and, and JJ or BJ or Carlos are sitting there at level 10, there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to play with them. I just have to simply wait for them to catch up, which I always thought was a sort of a bad model on WoW's part. But that's definitely one of the good things that I like about Guild Wars and the fact that all of the content the content across the entire world is relevant and interesting and challenging um, regardless of what level or even what equipment you have because of that, that forcing the level down part. And it's not as like, it's not as transparent, you know, because the, uh, the world of Warcraft has the, you know, the 10 bear asses we always talk about, you know, you start in a zone, you're like, hey, Mr. Quest Giver, what can I do for you? I need 10 bear asses. All right, I'm going to go get you 10 bear asses. The, you know, they have quest givers, but they're not really quests per se because you don't talk to anyone. As soon as you get into the location, you'll see a person with a heart and then you'll, you'll automatically have tasks that you can perform. And there's a variety of ways to accomplish that. It could be go kill somebody, it could be go do a riddle, or it could be go, you know, feed the cows or something like that. So they try to appeal to different play styles depending on, you know, what kind of uh, character you're running or, or what you prefer. And so they give you options and stuff like that. And they don't give you, like, a hard number. It's just a bar that ticks up, so you're not really aware of, like, you know, I need ten of this or I need five of that or whatever. So it it just feels a lot more easy-flowing, the whole process. Yeah. Well, and to sort of that extent, if you look, I mean, that, that bar is very prominent throughout the entire game, um, as to where if you're doing, say, a heart, which is the, essentially the Guild War equivalent of a quest, um, you could kill, like, a bear and get, like, a little bit of progress on your meter, or you could, say, light a fire or, you know, knock a wasp nest out of a tree and get significantly more progress along that quest. So it, it sort of encourages you to do different things and try out and see what's sort of the, the, the more uh, beneficial uh, task to, to do. And then sort of along those same lines is, is in every zone there's these dynamic events that happen. Uh, you know, they could be spurred by uh, somebody talking to the right NPC or being in the right place at the right time, but there's, there's events 
that occur, like say, for instance, uh, you're at a camp and, and then suddenly a bunch of centaurs begin attacking um, and that can kick off an event or a chain of events that sort of take you throughout the zone. Um, and it, it's that I really like that because it makes the world feel uh, yeah. more dynamic versus the static world. I accidentally woke. I accidentally woke up a demon in the swamp of sorrows. That was yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done that too. That guy's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, it but it's, it's it's things like that that make the world feel more alive versus the sort of boring, uh, you know, staleness that you get with say, uh, you know, Star Wars or or uh, WoW, because the the NPCs themselves, you know, that that are there, the shopkeepers or the guards or whatever, will actually you know run in and fight and defend, and you're trying to you know, keep these structures alive or keep these turrets alive or escort these people from point A to point B and they can die and then you could lose. So mm-hmm. it, it, it makes it makes it fun and more interesting. Yeah, right. And I like the, the big events too, the stuff that brings a, a whole zone together or people from other zones like uh, a dragon spawning or something like that and, and you tell your buddies and then they tell their buddies and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, you've got... You've got 65 people all trying to kill a dragon at the same time. Yeah, WoW, WoW has all those two now. <laughs> they copied it. Uh, I'm sorry, it. this is the Guild Wars episode. Yeah, yeah. Not the well, WoW you, you, episode. Hey, you guys kept on bringing up WoW in that, in that comparison. And That's I gotta fair. Say, it, it is it, really it, the only thing to, to feasibly compare Guild Wars to at this point in time, because I think so now that Star Wars has gone to the free-to-play mode, I, I don't really think that there's any really heavy hitter Moas out there other than Guild Wars. And and wow. How's Rift doing? I, I don't I Rift, keep on getting emails from them, so I Rift I'm, has an audience. There there's a group of people that like it. I've tried Rift a couple times, but every time I try it, I'm really put off by the fact that the characters I make have a paunch. I, I know it's dumb, but I'm just like, how can I be heroic if I have a this is like you can't you can't jump in Guild Wars one, isn't it? Yeah, that was like that. Yeah, that really bothered me too. Actually, oh, thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one who was bothered by that. <laughs> I know it's like a dumb thing, but I can't help it. I'm like, because I usually, if I'm running around, I'm kind of hitting the space bar, just kind of jumping around because you know the different characters. Like, I love how the Azura will do like little flips and go, yeah, you know, as they leap around. I kind of dig that stuff. So it really just. On uh, Guild Wars One, it threw me off when you couldn't jump, and and with Rift, all the, the characters just don't look heroic at all. They all look like blocks, you know, just these blocks, uh, you know, no no dynamic features to any of them. So, yeah. sort of going back to to Guild Wars Two real quick, and and I, I brought up end game end game content. I sort of want to keep going down that road. Um, you know how I guess the normal it, we use WoW as sort of the template for all of the modes, and WoW's end game content is just doing I guess dun- like high end dungeons and raids. That oh, may so have changed. You, so you didn't listen to our last podcast, did you, Scott? He, t- he said he listened to one podcast. No, I'm so. kidding. <laughs> well, go, go ahead and give me the the abridged or no the unabridged. There's a short there's video. a ton. Of, they they added tons of in-game content that that's what, what but is it is. like meaningful in-game content or is it yeah. like the pokemon uh zombies no i haven't even gotten to the pokemon yet i haven't okay. even gotten to the pokemon yet there's like thousands i'm not gonna say thousands but there's hundreds of dailies certainly and there's scenarios which are which are mini dungeons and dungeons but yeah no uh it's very different it's still different from guild wars 2 but go, yeah. go ahead well i mean it's i mean that good good for them for for diversifying because prior to Mesa pandora yeah. Um, the the only thing that you could do at the end game was you know run a handful of dungeons or do those sort of group raids, right. and and Guild Wars tries to give you uh, more diverse things to do I guess 
uh, one of them being the the higher end zones or are constant. It's and I bring go back to these events that happened before. It's a it's a constant chain of events, you know, leading you from the beginning of the zone all the way into a you know a, a corrupted temple by the uh, the risen uh, undead of Or and the and the dragon at the end, and those those take you know a very large number of people to accomplish, and it takes you know several hours to go through. But you get credit for everything on the way, and there's three zones that are designed like this, so you can sort of go through and 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 run that instance if if that's what you want to do in uh for your end game content but the the sort of the difference between guild wars and and wow is when you do wow stuff you're you're doing this for hours upon hours upon hours to get an item that gives you you know we'll say plus you know 10% more agility than your previous item had in in guild wars every end game stat wise item that you could possibly ever want is crafted they're all crafted so uh for instance you know i i made berserker gear for myself and for jj uh you know as a as a leather worker that has you know the best stats that you can get at the end of the game period um, the only thing that's really different is the sort of the runes that you put on them. So any sort of end games that you're working for here, they're not. It's not based off of stats. It, it's based off of looks. Um, so you want your character to you know look as pretty as possible, but you also want to stand out as much as you can. Like the legendaries that they've just introduced don't have any benefit stat wise. You're not you're not making this grind to be better than the player next to you. You're just making this grind to look more badass than the dude next to you. Yeah, and Scott going. is Scott is on the uh, Sea of Sorrows server, and he will make your armor for free. So everybody, uh, give <laughs> no, him a tell in game. <laughs> let me let me interrupt real quick. One thing about Guild Wars Two that I think is very cool is that you can level up from crafting. Yes. Yeah, you can level all the way up to eighty crafting. Yes. Just just doing jump. crafting. And that's cool, and that sort of brings back the... I don't know if any of you guys... I, I think BJ played Vanguard, but uh, Vanguard did... I think crafting was an entirely different profession. You leveled up separately, and it was its own different thing, and I thought that was pretty neat. But I do like the fact that the crafting crafting in Guild Wars is interesting, and the fact that you do have some sort of discovery process. You, you don't get spoon-fed a bunch of recipes, or you don't have to grind for a bunch of recipes. You just you have to sort of discover things based off of components that you build. And and though one of the least lucrative crafting skills, but one of the more interesting crafting skills is cooking, because throughout the course of the game, and you're doing all these this this harvesting of these nodes that you just happen to find out in the middle, like everywhere, you know, you pick up carrots and onions and whatever. Uh, it, you can combine all of these things into just hundreds upon hundreds of cooking recipes, and then just you know dicking around one day trying to figure out like what you can mash together to make a tasty stew. Uh, that that in itself. Uh, bears some entertainment. Value. Much like, much like I do in real life. Uh, <laughs> I just get this picture of Carlos in the kitchen, like right. yeah. chopping carrots, going, going out in the backyard and picking exactly. some mushrooms. Exactly. And, and on the way to work, he sees a note. <laughs> oh my goodness! Exactly. I gotta eat that mushroom. So, and so, one good thing about Guild Wars Two, and I'm sorry to interrupt, is is based on like you know how in in other modes, uh, harvesting was more of a competitive business. Like if you got to that node first, that node was yours. In Guild Wars, everything is community; it's all shared. So when I'm in a zone, when BJ's in a zone, we could we could harvest the same nodes. The right. the nodes only mean anything to us, um, and then we move on and get the next node. And it's all community shared. Everything's 
you know, share. There's no there's no competition as far as harvesting right. goes. Right. It's all, you know, to use the wild terminology, it's all phased to you, all the nodes and stuff. So you you get the node, someone else can get the node, someone else can get the node. Yeah, that is, I agree. That's great. And you get experience for doing it too, which is also yes. cool. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. So uh, going back a little bit, um, so we haven't really talked a lot about uh, the classes and the races uh, all that much. So uh, and they, and they do make a difference. Uh, you have a lot of well, you have. Go ahead. The, I mean, the races the races only make a difference as far as story goes. There's That's no what I was gonna talk about. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say each each race has each race and class combination. When you're creating a character, they'll give you a series of questions that you answer about your character. So like if you're in a Surin, which are these, these little furry creatures who think they're superior to everyone else, um, they'll ask you like, what college do you belong to? If you're human, uh, they'll ask, so this is, this was my favorite thing about the humans. The humans have these three options at one point where, what's your history like? Were you, was your sister killed by centaurs or do you not know who you know are you an orphan and you don't know who your parents were and then the third one is did you not join the circus when you could have yeah, that's awesome <laughs> I, that's why i made my engineer i'm like i can't resist clicking on this i was like one of those things is not like the others but basically every race every race has questions like that um i've actually made something of every race and uh and every class will have something related to that and all of that will um Feed through your entire story, your entire story as you're going from one to eighty and doing your professional story. Well, I don't think it's your entire story. No, it's not your entire story. But right. yeah. the, the stories are divided up into three chunks. There's your own sort of personal story, which is based on those questions, and then there's the, there, and then there's the block of story, which is based on the faction that you pick. And I think right. everybody's story at the end is the same. Yes, that is correct. Yes. And but that being said, I wouldn't know because I this is probably one of the only games that I have yet to play in alt. I made one alt once. So I could play it in uh, structured PvP, which is another thing Guild Wars has going for it, which is is uh, like a tournament style five v five. Think of League of Legends uh, without the leveling. Um, so you make a character, you sort of do you, you you do these competitive maps. And the good thing about that is if you if you don't know what you want to play. You can do that, and it levels you to 80, and you have every ability and every talent and every piece of armor available at you. So you could run through these sort of dummy uh, combat drones or whatever and, and sort of get the effectiveness of a character without having to level up to 80, which I think is pretty pretty freaking cool. Yeah, and even when you do the world PvP with your regular <laughs> character, you can join it at any level, and it'll level you up so that even though you might not have all the options – of someone who's done, you know, who has actually gone from one to eighty, you could still like be viable, right? And it gives you a gear set, and you're all on equal ground, on equal footing. So it's yes. not like it's not like you just started this this new PvP and have horrible gear or anything like that. You have the same gear as everybody else does. Well, that that's for the structured PvP. For the world PvP, your gear sure. is actually dependent on how well you can perform. So if you have if you have crappy gear, it's going to level your crappy gear up to a simulated level 80 crappy gear, so it'll right. still be crappy gear. Um, and and that is – my recommendation is is if you want to get into World v. World, you should at least be level 30 because then uh, that unlocks your elite skill, and your elite skill makes you uh, significantly more effective in a, in a World v. World scenario. Of course, depending on what it is, it could be a terrible one, so I don't know. Right. <laughs> so the playable races, let's mention them now. So there's the Asura, which are those little guys that I mentioned before. The Char, which are those kind of beach geal, often described as feline people. Regular humans. Uh, the Norn, which are these kind of giant Viking people. 
and the Silvari, which are a new race uh, who are kind of like plant people. I, I think they're the answer to like the elves, right? You know, they, it's their way of having sort of an elf-like creature without in there without being actually elves. Right. That's that's exactly right. They were going to be introduced in Eye of the North, uh, and actually it was it was slightly different, but they're they're what ended up happening. Uh, the professions they they split up professions into three different types. So there's the soldier professions, which are guardians and warriors. The adventurer professions, which are engineer, ranger, and thief. And the scholars, which are elementalist, mesmer, and necromancer. What do you guys play? I play a thief, ranger, warrior, and I play a mesmer. What is what does Matt play? Matt plays a guardian. Guardian, yeah. yeah. And uh, no one playing an engineer. That's interesting. Well, I've got. I think everybody has an engineer alt. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I, I think that we all do because even I do. Yeah, I got one alt. I got one up to like level thirty. I got one up to level four. <laughs> Whoa, you go, man! That's about as far. I think that was mostly due to crafting. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got an engineer alt and an elementalist alt, and I actually like them both. I'm just not playing Guild Wars two very much right now, and when I do, I'm playing my mesmer. So I love the mesmer class. I have to say, I'm enjoying it a lot. I've heard some. I've heard that mesmer. I think is the least played class currently. It's that, it's complicated. I, I think I think you're right. It's a complicated class to pay in a lot of ways, but I I'm just enjoying it a whole lot. Well, I, th- I think the biggest complaints that I've heard is that it's not a very PVE friendly class. It's a very PVP friendly class. So that a lot of the people, at least I know on our server, uh, are very PVP heavy. Even though I wish they were PVP heavy. So I. I mean, I, I don't typically see a lot of mesmers, mm-hmm. but I also don't really see a lot of elementalists either. So I, yeah, I mean, I can. They're squishy, but I don't know. I'm I'm having a lot of fun with PVE, PVE, and like anything else, it's completely based. Your survivability is going to be based on your skill choices, and if you have tons of phantasms and clones and illusions, I think they actually can be really viable for PVE, and if you have the right skills, and I've I've actually not had a problem at all. Um, well. I fell in love with a thief uh, in the beta, and I played the thief throughout all of the betas, and then I decided to play a thief for the game itself, and I really have no desire to switch off from that because I think thief is the best race or the best place. <laughs> and they uh, have a fun skill where they where they steal something that I thought was kind of neat, and then and you can eh. use that against people. I yeah, just thought that was fun. Tr- well, it's, it's, it's trivial. It's it's all yes. sort of based on class. Whatever class you're stealing from, you have a fifty percent chance of getting one thing or the other. Yeah, it uh, is trivial, but it's it's funny. Yeah, but you could use it in certain combinations. Stealing's more useful in in the structured PvP, not so much the World v World. And World v World, it's all about short bow and massive area effect attacks and just constantly bomb. I'm like I'm practically a ranger, but with just shorter range, um, and more area effect things. But yeah. It's fun. I really like it, and the stealth and the versatility and the survivability is is pretty much uh, top notch in my in my book. So as far as like in game content goes, we have the structured PvP, like what you said, you know, this League of Legends type things. Everyone's on the equal footing, and and they try to make it a very fair and balanced thing to where it's all about skill. They have the World v World, which is sort of the barbarian hordes. You know, you. Not, it's you know, not barbarian hordes. It's, uh, to a certain degree, right? You know, well, I mean, uh, yes, but each server, I guess, sort of organizes in its own fashion. There is the whole, I mean, we call it the Zerg, because yeah. it's, it's the Zerg of, of dudes just running in and smashing themselves against a castle wall. But there is, 
if you have the capability and the organization and, and worldly world probably isn't very fun by yourself. It's more fun to do with a guild. Um, and you can organize these sort of things like attacking strategic points, building siege and strategic points, bombing specific walls, a plan of attack. It's all very, uh, high war, uh, in the fantasy realm sort of thing. But. Yeah. And then they have um, PvE, the dungeon runs, and dungeons can be run in two modes. They can be run in story mode, and then they can be run in explorer mode. Um, and they have you know layers of difficulty, so that way that there you know there there is PvE content. You know, I think that's maybe what scares some people off from playing Guild Wars that they think it's all about PvP, but there is good thought out PvE content out there for players to consume. And let me sort of expand upon that because the. Like we mentioned, there's this the story mode, which sort of uh, for the dungeons, which walks you through the uh, Divinity Edge, their whole story and their whole thing, and it's I think it's kind of fun. I think uh, I think BJ and JJ, I think we've done most of them together except for a handful, and it's it's a it's a little interesting, you know, mocking the characters as they have their like teenage bullshit drama, and that's that's fun too. And, <clears throat> and then there's the explorer modes, which are uh, in my opinion significantly more challenging than the story mode. Um, and they run you through, like, okay, what happens in the dungeon after the story mode is accomplished, where it's clear, where they're doing whatever. Uh, and then at the end, you get, like, you do the run, you get tokens and uh, gold and some other, and now karma they just introduced today. But uh, And the tokens can be used to just buy, uh, actually, your high-end level 80 gear that all has a unique look to it. And, uh, or, or can be built into, uh, the legendary weapon. Like, I know we ran, uh, Twilight Arbor. Uh, me and JJ have been running that several times to get our, our, uh, Mark of Thorns or whatever it's called to, to inevitably build into our legendary weapon. As to where Matt's been running, wanting to run Honor of the Waves to get, to get armor and, and for appearance values and for stats as well. So that's, I mean, that's definitely stuff that you could do and to get, and when you run a dungeon, you get like 60 tokens, just for an example. When you run a dungeon, you get 60 tokens to buy like the cheapest piece of armor. Uh, the, the nice shiny armor is, uh, probably about 180 tokens. Yeah. So, so just imagine, I mean, you have six pieces of armor. You have to run the dungeon a number of times. And it does become sort of a grind fest, but you also do get achievements for running all the explorer modes and all the story modes and all the dungeons. And that's sort of, you know, fun stuff to have for achievement sake. Well, I'm sure. I, I'll have to admit, though, that that this working on the legendary weapon, I'm starting to feel the the grind or the uh, the slowing down of enthusiasm about the game. Yeah, but you um, need. But just look at it this way, man. You only have what two more runs. Yeah. Right. I felt that way after two more runs, and now I'm like, eh, you know, what's the big deal? Because it's really not. It, that dungeon's not like that painful because we found our niche and we run it, you know, once a day every so often. We just sort of move on with our lives. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it definitely is grinding, grindy to get the uh, the legendary. I, I wouldn't recommend anybody who's actually looking at Guild Wars or starting at Guild Wars. Don't even think about legendaries. Don't even don't even process that <laughs> in your mind. It, and and it's really it, it, it's stupid enough to where you know me and JJ are, are doing all of this hard work. To sh- to have a bow that looks like a unicorn that shoots rainbows. So I mean, that's all it does. It doesn't. Is that, is that, is yeah. that true? That, that is, is true. Yes, that is true. 
It doesn't have any stat bonuses. It doesn't have anything. It's just a stupid thing that is doesn't, hard to get. It's just a goal at the very far end of yeah, the time. It doesn't do anything any better than anything else other than, <laughs> than shoot rainbows. But when you're, when you're in a world v world situation and somebody is shooting rainbows at you and murdering you, it hurts you inside <laughs> in a place deep in your soul. And you want and to you do want that to, to others. Able, yeah, <laughs> you want to do it to others. So it's sort it's of demoralizing. Yeah. So but I will say this, uh, you know, Guild Wars is not the perfect game, but it doesn't charge you anything. So by exactly. that, I feel like it is better than most games out there. And it started out that way. It didn't go into that way because it failed at a subscription model, which is Other fantastic. Than, yeah. Other than the $60 that you used to buy it originally. One of well, the, I mean, that's that's with any game. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of the fun things that I that I think, uh, you know, there's people who are very much completionists, right? Playing these games, like getting all the achievements, getting the best weapon, getting the stuff, and it really does a great job at drawing in completionists because of the whole map completion thing. Mm-hmm. Every map. I'm the only has, one out of our group that's done that. <laughs> I'm close. Map, Every map has a set of things you can do. It's got vistas. You can go and get a pretty view. It's got skill things, which are actually useful. You go and get skills. It's got, uh, you know, points of interest that you can go and look at. And once you, once you complete a given map, then... And the hearts. Don't forget the hearts. Oh, yes. And, and the hearts, which are doing all those quest hub type things that they talked about. Once you complete a map, then you get, like, a prize, right? Treasure. Uh, you get some treasure or something, and then you get that, that little tick that says you completed the map 100%. Yeah. And then you keep on going, and it tells you, and you've completed, like, 10% of the world, and then, yeah. Well, and the stuff that you get from from completing a zone is actually, if you're doing a level-appropriate zone, is good stuff. I mean, sure, it's, like, four random things. You get, like, a like a, a black lion thing, which could be a key or whatever. Then you get some uh, 40 of a crafting component and then, and then two uh, items that are sort of randomly generated. So there's some odds that you'll get something that's, that's either good for you or you can sell on the trading post and get, and get some, some decent cash. Mm-hmm. So that's, and that's sort of, I, I, I sort of hit this, uh, Guild Wars with a very completionist mindset. Um, and I, you know, I sort of set myself as a mission as like, okay, you know, I'm playing today, I'm going to finish this zone. And that's, you know, was sort of my goal for the day. And then I'd log off and be done. And that sort of got me through all of the zones and got me my 100% completion. And, and you do need that to complete your legendary, which is, which is also good. It's sort of accomplished two things in one. Um, but it's fun. It's not like, it's not like I felt like I was grinding out these zones. It was still entertaining, and it was still challenging because they, the Guild Wars forces you down to the level of the area that you're playing in. Great. So that's always good. <clears throat> and then along those same lines, right? You know, it it, fa- it seems like you and Matt have discovered another aspect of the game to kind of keep yourselves entertained. <laughs> well, so I thought. Originally, when we when you asked me to do this podcast with you, I thought we were going to talk about economics and economics and video games. Um, in which case, I had a whole bunch of stuff prepared, but it seems like um, that's that's for a different episode. But like any MMO, uh, those who are passionate about finding some sort of niche in the market or exploiting certain scenarios um, or just simply uh, being a good crafter. Uh, we'll find interest here. And the one good thing about the trading post, which sort of, I guess, is very interesting with Guild Wars, is that the trading post, the auction house of this game, is not server-specific. 
um, games like EverQuest 2 or WoW or, you know, other, uh, I guess, uh, what was that, DC Online, um, those sort of uh, mass trading post auction houses are, are server-specific. Um, Guild Wars <clears throat> actually has a server which manages all of the, the trading post items, quantities, prices, buy orders, etc., and it is it's game wide so you're you're dealing if you're if you're a crafter if you're a leather worker like I was you're dealing with with a number of different leather workers uh creating supply across uh you know a, you know as many servers as they have uh both in the US and in Europe and in Asia um all over the world so you're dealing with that supply. You're also dealing with that the the demands that's sort of stimulated from all of those different servers, all those people reaching level eighty. So it it actually it puts a different spin on the whole uh, economic strategies uh, and and the ways to make money in in this game versus say WoW when you're dealing with a, a much more small a smaller more centralized uh, economy. And you know if you look at I guess when I played WoW back in the day, uh, I tried to be like a like a market baron, you know, for one one specific thing. Um, however, there's just too much competition worldwide in Guild Wars to become, a, a, you know, a baron of one specific thing. So, sort of what what BJ was hinting at is that if you're going to try to make money in the traditional senses, and JJ brought this up today, was either you know harvesting and selling that. Uh, harvested material on the marketplace, in which case you're you're competing with, you know, millions of different people doing the exact same thing, um, but you're only really investing your time in it, um, versus actually trying to pick up a trade skill, um, and which I found out recently is is leatherworking. My trade skill uh, is based on you know a certain criteria of resources, and the margins have been cut down to to razor thin. Um, which has pushed me out of that market because I don't want to bother anymore. Um, so, so Matt and I are playing the numbers game. We're playing the statistic game of uh, various sort of uh, you know Mystic Forge combinations because the Mystic Forge exists in in Guild Wars to mash uh, same tier items into a potentially you have a random chance of a higher tier item. So there's uh, there's you start with white and then there's uh, blue, green, yellow, orange, red. Um, so if you mash like four four yellows together, you have, there's a chance that you'll get an orange. So so we're playing the numbers game, the statistics game on a very on a very large scale to work out in our favor. Um, and I think that, as I was discussing with Matt today, is probably coming to an end as well based off this last patch. But it's very interesting being in this sort of scenario, working with a very global uh, virtual economy. Um, that I have not done before in in, a, in an MMO. So what's with all the cursing every day? Hmm? I was saying whenever I log into Skype, I log, I open it up, and it's like filled with cursing. So it's- there's the, the margin. So me and Matt play a very risky game. So we buy, we buy, we set up, and this is good. All MMOs should do this. You should be able to create buy orders. So. You know, I set up a buy order for something for, say, uh, two silver, right? Well, some douchebag over in Europe comes along and sets a buy order for the same thing that I want, but he's setting it for two silver and one copper, 
right? So he's he's essentially trumping my my buy order. So when people are selling this the, these products throughout the world, this dude's getting them first, right? So my my whole money my money's just sitting there. It's not doing anything, and it's essentially become stale money. It's <clears throat> it's not you know got to spend money to make money. It's not doing that whole thing. So we complain a lot because not only is there that overcutting on the buy market, there's global undercutting on the uh, the the selling market. So if I have a premium item, I'm trying to sell it for three gold. Somebody comes along and sells it for you know two gold, ninety nine silver, ninety nine copper. But then there's those people who don't seem to have any sort of I don't understand what goes on in their mind and which probably causes most of our swearing is if I list something for three gold, then the next thing listed below mine will be for two gold and 75 silver. So they, they drop that price down by 25 silver for, for no reason. So that's, that's where all the swearing comes from because it's, it's market decisions coming from people around the world that don't make any sense to me because it's not like, it's not like real world economics where, you know, uh, one one company's trying to guess what the other company's selling if they're both selling the same thing, assuming it's not broadcast open market. This is broadcast open market. It's like it's like uh, McDonald's selling a double cheeseburger for a dollar, and then Burger King says, "Well, you know what? Screw you! I'm selling mine for for you know 99 cents." But instead of the 99 cents, they're like, "Screw it! I'm selling mine for for you know 75 cents." And I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I think a better, like, real-world example of that are gas stations, right? Oftentimes, we'll see gas yeah. stations right next to each other, and one will be, you know, gas is like, you know, three forty-nine, and you know, and the other one will be three forty-eight. But in your example, you're saying uh, one gas station is three forty-nine, the other one's like, nope, three twenty. Yeah. Right. You know, not even you know trying to to you know play the margins at all. I don't know. Well, I think, it, it's. I, I think it's a lot like the real world in that uh, people are not rational actors. <laughs> that's probably very true but i think the problem of that is is that the business that that matt and i are in we don't we're not building anything we're t- we're taking large groups of things mashing those into smaller groups of things and then trying to build a profit out of that right so it's not like i could sit there and go oh to make this tunic it cost me five of these and ten of these and whatever and whatever so my cost is 15 gold i'm going to sell it for you know what i can this is one of those things where there is no actual cost to this. We can we could derive a cost from it, but it's just a cost on that particular run. So what we have to do is we have to do a broad spectrum. So we're we're basing our pricing on what the current market value is of that particular item. Have, we're not have, putting a cost on that for it. I, so when people undercut that irrationally, it it drives us crazy and it doesn't make any sense. I have a secret dream that BJ and JJ are, are logging on with all ton other servers and undercutting you just to see the entertaining <laughs> Skype conversation. No, we we've found a good undercutting strategy. So so it's just patience, just market patience and deep breaths. Cause if you Say, you know, I know that I have I have several competitors in my market and they drive the price down. And I could if they drive the price down a few copper, then because I always hold on to a stash. I never throw all my stuff up anymore. It, it, that's just a waste of money because it first off, it, it costs you money to put something up there. Five percent of the item that you're trying to sell, you have to pay up front. So if you pull your item back, you can't reprice it. So if you pull your item back, you just ate five percent of that item. Which we don't want to do that. So if somebody's undercutting me by a copper, which is the smart thing to do, then I have enough inventory on hand to undercut them by a copper, and we just sort of walk down a little bit until things start selling, and then we all get happy. 
But if somebody undercuts me by a significant amount, then I'll just stop putting things up there. I'll wait for his to sell and catch up to my catch up to where my current things are priced at. It's a it's a patience game, and you need to be patient. If you if you can't be patient, don't play the market because it's it's a tough. It's game. almost as if you know the market in Guild Wars is like the real market in in the real world. It is, but it isn't because a lot of these things. So. My my biggest complaint is is if you compare this to say Eve. I don't know how many of you guys actually played Eve, right? Eve had uh localized markets. So, you know, there was a market. You could see everything being sold everywhere, but there was a distance value incurred. In Guild Wars, you can sell things instantly from anywhere in the world. You can buy things instantly from anything anywhere in the world. You don't have to be anywhere to be involved in the market, which I like. It's convenient, but it it leads it to being a very open market and a very razor-thin market and also a very competitive market. But it, it has no bearing on region, and for the most part, it doesn't really seem to have any bearing on cost because, for example, if they they, they, they put in – in the trading post where you can't buy something for less than what it would sell to a vendor. And from my recollection in Eve, there were no vendors. So if you had anything, if you say uh, made something or got something from a monster, you had to sell it to a player because there weren't like merchants out there to just buy your crap from you. If nobody wanted it, nobody wanted it. And in Guild Wars, there's certain things that nobody wants, but People do want it, they just don't want it at this artificial value that, that the, the vendors have, have designated, which is kind of a downer because, you know, if you look at what I buy, I buy something for, you know, X amount of silver because it's just slightly above of what somebody would, would get selling it to a vendor. If there was no vendor, then I could, I would be saving a shit ton of money on my supplies because people would be wanting to get rid of these things and they're going to pay, they're going to accept whatever I have to offer them because there's no other alternatives. And that, that would be more like a real market because there's no, there's no company that I'm aware of that will just buy whatever for a set price always. So it is like a real market. Like you have a lot of competition. It's very global. Um, and, and there are things that don't make sense, like in the real world. But in the real world, there is that crutch where, you know, you can liquidate everything you have on hand, um, for a, for a set price. So tell me about the Halloween event. I haven't got to experience much of it because it just started today, which was some of me and JJ's reluctance to be on the podcast. But they, they did the year sort of your typical MMO thing. They sort of transformed the main city, uh, add a lot of like pumpkins and Halloween stuff and a lot of, a lot of goofy things like there's costume battles. Um, right. you, could, you could get dressed up in a different costume or a giant thing of candy corn and, uh, but the, the, it's, it's their first content release from what I understand. They made a lot of mechanical changes, like they made it easier to earn karma, which is another just another form of currency, um, which is good. Uh, and they they added in a bunch of uh, extra content, some jumping puzzles, some mini dungeons, um, some different, different additional crafting stuff, additional harvesting stuff. Um, JJ, you may have done some additional research. I'll let you chime in on this. Um, there's some pumpkin carving, so you can go around carving pumpkins in town. Um, I'm trying to think of what else there. There's a, a big event in town now where you get a, uh, 
a little uh, radar gun type thing that uh, shoots out and you find different uh, spooky characters. Uh, you can find ghosts or ghouls or goblins, but you can only see them if you use your candy corns to, to make the radar go off and then you have to go looking for them and find them. Uh, it's almost like a hide and seek kind of thing. Um, there's trick or treat boxes everywhere. I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot like what, uh, you've seen in WoW before when they do their, their special events at, at different holidays. And the thing that I think is sort of a little bit maybe more specific to, to a Guild Wars is they tend to, to, it, like, I, like I sort of mentioned before, it's a very appearance-based game. Like, you, you work very hard to get to get a suit of armor that just looks neat, right? It, it doesn't actually offer you anything. So chances are there's going to be a lot of these appearance-based things, or uh, and I think WoW did this too, like specific uh, seasonal pets that you can only get during this time. So it's a lot of uh, it's sort of a completionist collector's wet dream for the holidays, where they can go through and, and, and put in this extra work to, to get these sort of just flavor of the season things. That's um, one thing, too, we didn't mention, I don't remember mentioning, is the daily and monthly uh, event type things. If you, if you could, uh, complete all these things that you have to do in a day, then you get uh, some treasure at the end of the day. Uh, and the same thing with the end of the month. Well, for the Halloween um event they made that part of the monthly event so uh this month you have to complete some of the which is actually eating candy corns uh you have to eat 150 Spoiler. candy corns oh sorry <laughs> uh, and and uh that's how that's how you finish them monthly so they put that in there too which i i like yeah so what, what items do you really want to get or must uh for halloween well no, i don't know i, I have this they have this bow right now that uh, looks like a spider holding its web in between its legs. Uh, the the web is like the bowstring. Uh, I think it looks pretty pretty stinking rad. And uh, Matt actually just linked me the whole process of making it. So I probably won't get it done in the week, week and a half that I have to get it done. But uh, it looks cool. Oh, is that what he linked? Yeah. And you, Scott, is there anything you want to get? Well, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't do enough research on what sort of changed, and that's one of the mysteries of Guild Wars. They'll change a bunch of stuff, but they won't really spell it out for you. So I'm sure that there's definitely something I'm going to try to get during this point in time. Oh crap! It looks like we have to run Ascalonian Catacombs again. Ooh. Is that a dungeon? <laughs> yes, that's a dungeon yeah. we've run more times than I would have liked to have run it. But. <laughs> But and I already have a lot of those tokens. Actually, yeah, I probably have those tokens. That I think I have like 750 of those tokens. <laughs> it's terrible. All right. Um, is, so we're going to need to wrap up about time. Is there any other any last-minute uh, mentions about Guild Wars 2? I, I really enjoy it. It's one of the, the, the best MMOs that I've played since EverQuest 2, which was, I in my opinion, better than WoW. But that's probably a debate for a different time. If, I really like it. It's they dumbed everything down enough and made everything interesting enough to where it it doesn't feel like a chore to play the game. I I, honest, I honestly have fun, and I like I said, I've been level eighty for probably about a month and a half now, and and I still enjoy playing. Uh, you know, just about every single day. JJ, uh, I think Guild Wars Two is fun. I think uh, I think it's losing a little bit of its luster for me, but. Uh, 
you know, I, I stick with stuff as long as these guys play them. So uh, I'll stick Planet around as long as they do. it doesn't cost you a goddamn thing. Yeah, it doesn't cost me anything. So uh, I haven't paid anything except for the original box price. So. so it's easy to come and go as you please. I wanted yep. to hear some big numbers because I was telling my boss about this and he was a little shocked. But I've heard that you and Matt have, have depending on, on what time of the day, You've gotten over 100 gold each, or one of you got close to 200 gold? Matt has over 200 gold. I think I'm getting close to 150 myself. And, and that's pretty significant. I mean, that's That is a, incredibly significant. Yeah. So that's a lot have, of money to throw around. I have 13. <laughs> feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, I got like 8 or something. Well, I worked for about one month straight leatherworking to build my small gold fortune from 10 up to 50. And then, like I said, the, the the margins had gone for one piece of armor from 30 silver to 10 silver. And then last I checked, it was the margins were 5 silver for a piece of armor. So for me, it didn't seem worth it anymore because to make a gold, I would have to sell 20 pieces of armor. And these pieces of armor were going for like, you know, two gold a pop. So it's not like they just flew off the shelves and and you know eventually the demand would be filled so then there would just be supply left and you know i sort of had all these things prepared when i thought we were going into economics but we're not so <laughs> we could save that for another time um but that's that's why i got out of that market and it's depressing and it it actually is kind of hard to make money in guild wars 2 it's not easy you could grind dungeons you could grind events you could grind mobs you could you could grind magic fine stuff, but in the end, unless you're willing to take a significant amount of risk on a crazy idea, you're not going to make the kind of money that me and Matt have. So just a heads up. Did you really well, prepare like an economics dissertation or something? I, I had put a lot of thought into it because I was going to sort of compare and contrast Guild Wars with EVE because I think that EVE Online by far was one of the best economic games that MMOs that has ever existed to date. And and I wanted to expand upon that, but we could do that later. It's okay. We can do that in another episode if there's just sure. like booming interest to go into the economic details of it. <laughs> so we'll see no, what the feedback is like on that. Well, one. economics well, is not interesting, but like I said, I had thought about this a lot because that's what you told me. This is going to be. And one of the fun things about Eve, though, is that Eve has some of the best, actually interesting economic stories and economic yes. horror stories. Yes. Of any yes. MMO, and like not just in-game money, real-world money, so or, like, stuff worth real-world money. So, I've yeah, heard, like, pyramid schemes on EVE yes. and, and, like, you know, these uh, these uh, hoaxes that they made tons of money on and stuff like I mean, that. No, there's, it, yeah. there's yeah. EVE has everything, pyramid schemes, hoaxes, uh, uh, you know, shiny salesmen, and it's also got those, those scruffy uh, nerf herders who go to the main capital to buy shit for real cheap and send it out to the boonies risking life and limb to to uh to sell it for huge margins. Yeah, it's got it, everything. It's got it the whole true. classic Oregon Trail <clears throat> economics to it. It's it. It's you say yeah. Oregon Trail economics? Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, it's just you know that's <laughs> you die of you die of uh what is it dysentery every now and then? <laughs> dysentery. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it is actually. Eve has some really really great stories. That would be a good a good interesting. Uh, well, if you guys decide to do that, let me know because I did a lot of that stuff back in the day, and Eve, Eve for me was as Excel spreadsheet in space. 
So that's and that actually that's actually how it is also uh, described a lot is as an Excel spreadsheet in space, which doesn't sound all that interesting, but it it is just fascinating. Oh, but it is because um, I took I took out loans to start a business on Eve and I made it big and and it was fun. It's fun. It's it's interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah, but and and on the economic side, CCP Games who, who owns Eve, they actually have an an economist on their staff, like a real world economist. So yeah. All right. Well, we'll do that. We'll do that for another time. We're uh, at an hour and a half mark. BJ, is there anything you wanted to? Uh, I got nothing off the top of my head. Uh, is there anything you want to highlight for next episode? Um, well, if I'd like to do another episode soon, so we can do a Halloween episode. Oh, I like that. You wanna you wanna cover like you know horror movies and stuff, or that's, what, that's, which... what that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, we'll cover some horror stuff. Okay, yeah, horror movies aren't really my specific genre, but I think I can dabble in there a little bit with you. Yeah, I've, I've got... watched quite a few. All right, well there you go. We can have other people on too. But yeah, I've got exactly. movies, books, everything. Love it. So uh, we're going on vacation uh, next next weekend, but uh, uh, and we'll be visiting some uh, historical, you know, houses and the, the haunted houses that they have uh, in the area. So that'll be that'll be fun, and I'll, I'll update y'all with that. All right, sounds good. So that'll be another episode of Coming Out of the Basement. You can reach us on Twitter at cotb1. You can find us online, comingoutofthebasement.com. And as always, you can email us at podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com. We really appreciate all your guys' comments. Uh, thank thank people for listening. Thank thank you all. And uh, uh, Scott and JJ, thank you for being on. Yeah, yeah thanks. Thank you. Hey, I got to chime in. There was your COTB1? There was already a COTB. What's the COTB original? Uh, I, I didn't look up who the person oh, was. It just didn't let me. So we, we had to get uh, COTB1. Gotta keep it short. You know, Twitter's all about the word count. Keep it short. There you go. Fair enough. Yeah, COTB is Julio Barranco Diaz. There you go. So that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> hasn't hasn't posted since May 10th. All right. Oh. So glad he has that account. <laughs> Catch you all here. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Network interface disabled. Goodbye.